pretty cool. <laughs> so before anybody thinks anything nuts and crazy, it's it's not that. Um, and you're not required to fly one or anything of that nature. But uh, thank you, Robert. Um, this morning when I was over here, and uh, I typically arise early in the morning, well before the sun comes up, and uh, it was no different today. But as I was here, just going over what I feel the Lord has laid on my heart and uh, to, to, to deliver this morning, I was taken back uh, to, to that scripture that I shared with you a moment ago, Matthew 18, 11. And uh, it's, it's simple, that, that he came to save the lost. No other reason. He didn't come for us, and I felt urged and I felt compelled to share this with you, that for the Son of Man come to save that which was lost, but specifically this part for the church, for the believers, not for us to be comfortable. And I want to say that again because I want you to hear it. He came to save that which was lost, not for us to be comfortable. When you read the news and when you listen to people and you listen to the social media posts and all of that jazz and all that stuff, we know all that whatever. But when we read the Bible, we know that times are going to be perilous and they're going to be nuts and crazy and chaos is going to abound everywhere. And I feel in my spirit that the church, when I say church, we know that we're not just talking about here. We're talking about all our brothers and sisters in the Lord all across this world. But specifically, the church in America as a whole has become content and complacent. And I believe that the Lord is shaking us and telling us, you better wake up. I want you to turn in your word this morning to 2 Kings chapter 7. And I felt it, I found it uh, interesting. That's how the Lord works. That uh, um, our, our general overseer of the church of God actually preached uh, somewhat on this text a couple weeks ago down in Baton Rouge. But uh, I, I, I'm not preaching because he did. But I just, I'm going to preach what I feel the Lord has, has moved me to minister on. And I want to use this morning for a subject or a title if you, if you need to know. It's time to move. When in life you find yourself in a predicament as this gentleman here may be or in a, uh, between a rock and a hard place if you will. It don't seem no better in front of you and it seems even worse behind you and where you are ain't no good either. It seems that sometimes we just become content on accepting it is what it is, or people will say that. Well, it is what it is, ain't nothing I can do about it. Well, it is going to be what it is if you don't do anything about it. But in 2 Kings chapter 7, we, we read of a text, and we find that there was, there was uh, uh, specifically four lepers in this, in this predicament in their lives. And I want to begin reading in verses uh, 1 through 9 in, in chapter 7 of 2 Kings, and it says, Then Elisha said, Hear you the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel, in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, you shall see it with your eyes, but shall not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men in, uh, at the entering of, uh, in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit here until we die? If we say we'll enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. 
Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, and even the noise of the great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents, their horses and their donkeys, and even camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these leper, lepers came unto the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver, gold, raiment, and went and hid it. And they came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. And they said one to another, we do not well. This day uh, is the day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. At this time and in this text, and when you're reading and you're studying the word uh, Jer Jerom or Jehoram, or however you properly say it, I, I don't because I'm not uh, Hebrew, but... Um, he was king, and he was evil. He wasn't good. If you go back to chapter 3 of, of 2 Kings, and verses 1 through 3 of, of 2 Kings, you'll, you'll find that he ruled and wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the king of the land. And he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, and, and he, he removed the idol that was erected by his father, but yet he held on to the golden calf. What I said a while ago, the Lord desires all of us. We, we will get rid of or, or, or denounce or remove ourselves from certain areas or things of the former, but we want to hold on to some things of the past. And it's simply, uh, or it's easy for people to hold on to things of the past because it's familiar. Because they can control and they know what it is. Even if it's bad, they still know what it is. But verse 1, I have the question here, and this, this amazes me, and, I, and this question is simple. How amazing is grace? <laughs> you ever thought about that? We sing the song. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Take that, a wretch like you, like me. But how amazing is grace. We had a king that was evil. He wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. He, the famine was swept throughout the land. People were eating crazy stuff and each other, in fact, they were, resulted to cannibalism. But yet, God still showed grace because he sent somebody to declare, thus saith the Lord. And this is exactly what Elisha did. The king wanted, in fact, wanted Elisha dead. Because he got tired of waiting. You can read the previous chapter. He was tired of waiting. So in spite of a scornful heart and the unbelief of the king and the, the messenger of the Lord would give an abundance at the cost of almost nothing. God always gives us more than you could ever buy. In fact, you can't buy anything he has. What does it cost you? It costs you surrendering your life. 
Surrendering your all to get all that he has. But in verse 2 says, Then a Lord, a Lord meaning not Lord God Almighty, but a Lord, someone who the, the king leaned on, uh, answered the man of God. And he answered sarcastically. I don't want you to be surprised when people don't receive and aren't receptive of the gospel. It should be no surprise to us, but he asked them sarcastically, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, and, and, and meaning, what's he going to do? Open up the sky and just let this just fall out? Might this thing be? And he, and he Elisha, said, Behold, you shall see it with your eyes, but shall not eat thereof. The reward for unbelief is always death. Nothing else. The reward for unbelief is death. That's it. So don't allow another's unbelief to change your position in Christ. There's, there's people on the news right now, and, and I don't know who it was or what news affiliation they're with, and I really don't care, frankly, where they, where they are, but what they said is absolutely astounding. But they said uh, out of their mouth that this nation does not need God. This is the land we're living in. Right now in California, churches are told they can't sing and worship the Lord. And we have, we have oppression coming from every different area. But just because someone else does not believe, you cannot allow that to change your position in Christ. Listen, your position will not match your condition until we're glorified, till God comes back and calls us home. My, my condition is I am in Christ Jesus. I'm seated at the right hand with the Heavenly Father. But my position is in Christ. But physically I'm here on earth. But that position will match my condition when He calls us home. But my position will not change in Christ regardless of what man says. It's a very real fact and a very real threat that we could be silenced to try to. But what the government says and what they mandate and what they try and what they implement will not stop what God has done and will do. But the reward for unbelief is death. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else. You'll, you'll never get anything else out of it. So, so the part that we're, we're, we're focusing in on or honing in on here this morning is, or specifically the four leprous men, they were, they were at the entering in of the gate. Why were they at the entering in of the gate? Because they weren't wanted and they were not allowed in. Why? Because they were lepers. And the church has set this standard for many folks because they don't want you unless you look like, talk like, act like, or smell like. That's not the church God called. That's, listen, if you're looking for somebody to live up to your standard, you need to get saved. And if that's tough, just, just get over it. They weren't allowed in, but they said to themselves, and they said to one another, why sit here until we die? What do I got to lose? I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> if I stay here, I'm going to die. If I go forward, they may kill me. If I, if I go back, I'm going, why in the world am I going to sit here and murmur and complain and whine and wallow in pity? I'm not going to do it. Listen, leprosy was looked at then as sin. A leper was in essence hopeless. Why? Because they had no hope. 
Nobody wanted them. They were outcast. They were put outside the camp. So they said, why sit here until we die? But in that very moment, something began to happen in these four men. Faith began to rise up. Because they said, why sit here until we die? How many Christians, how many believers have given up on God? How many believers have quit? Because it hasn't went your way or not going your way. And in fact, it just seems to get worse and worse every day. You ever had those times when it just seems, they see, when they say it rains, it pours? I knew what that meant. I grew up and ran low and, and we would have, we had like seven cars and one worked. People thought we had a junkyard going on. I was like, nah, it's just one of them cars my dad's going to fix one day. And, and, and it just never got fixed. And uh, so we just pushed them to the backyard and, and got another one at some point in time when they had enough money. But faith demands something of us. Faith demands action. You can say all you want. You can talk all you want. You can look like all you want. But if you don't do anything, if you don't put uh, feet or, or action to your belief, faith without works is what? The Bible says dead. So these four, they acted in verse 4. They said, if we say we'll enter into the city, then famine is in the city. And we shall die there. And if we sit here, it will die also. Now therefore come, let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. They had absolutely nothing to lose. These four who were by society standard, they were hopeless. But guess what? They set out to go into the enemy's camp. <laughs> Y'all know that we hadn't seen this song in forever, but I went to the enemy's camp. Listen, they set out to go into the enemy's camp. I'm not going to stay here in misery. I'm going to move on. Don't you know misery loves company and I'm not going to be his neighbor? They, they, they said, I am not staying here. We're we going to just move on. So verse 5 says, And when they were coming to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. The camp was empty. Why was the camp empty? Not because they were afraid of the lepers. Listen, the devil is not afraid of you. He's not afraid of me. But he is terrified of who is in me and who is in you, or who you are in, in Christ. Verse 6 says, For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, and a noise of horses, and even the noise of great hosts. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hired against us the king of the Hittites, the Egyptians. Now, that they come upon us. What we see and what we know and what we do in ourselves fails in comparison to what God is already doing and what the Holy Spirit is already orchestrating and how He's moving and operating. The Syrians thought that a great army was coming from them, from a higher nation, so they tucked tail and they ran away and they hid. And in leprosy, and in all its fullness, you couldn't hardly even move or do anything. But these four began to move forward and they began to walk. But when I walk, when you walk in yourself, you only hear two footsteps, but the enemy hears eight. How? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is with you. He is with you. He is with you when you go. You're not alone. So how 
because we're a child of God, the high, the most high king. So where I go, so does he. As a matter of fact, Psalm 34, verse 7 answers this for us, that the angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and delivereth them. I don't know about you. I am not a genius, but I do know what round about. It means I'm surrounded. I, uh, he's above me. He's below me. He's on my right side, my left side. He's in front of me. He's behind me. So I don't worry where I go. He's going before me. He's got my hind side covered because he is my protector and he will deliver you. But he won't deliver you if you won't let him. I'm, this is not odd. I do this all the time. This is us. We're, Lord, I just want to move. I just, I want you to move me, Lord. Come, Lord, do it today, Lord. But he's been telling you to get up and walk for years, but you won't do nothing. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them who fear Him and delivers them. The fear of the Lord has almost all but vanished. When you go in, when I go in as a blood-bought, born-again, tried, tested, and proven child of the Most High God, you have the Lord of hosts all around you. All around you. So why would the enemy not scatter? Why would he not scatter? When these four lepers began to walk toward the camp of the Syrians, the Lord, the, not them, the Lord magnified their footsteps. The Lord magnified their footsteps. And it sounded like the march of a great mighty army coming in. You almost not have as a vivid and visual mind as myself. When we exhibit faith, how much, much, much is, the amount's not the question. It's just, will you exhibit faith? When we exhibit faith, He does the rest. But what we do must be uh, led and, and guided by the Holy Spirit. But when we exhibit faith in His promise, He begins to work. Hello, He begins to work. When we will just exhibit faith, the Syrians left everything. Verse 8 tells us that they went in they, and they ate and they drank. Who? The lepers. They took silver, gold, and raiment. They hid it. They went back to another and they did the same thing. Not only did they come into the enemy's camp, they came in and took what? Took back. When you will, when I will, trust him for who he says he is and, and we will be obedient to his word. And we will not deny Him or reject Him, but we will simply place our faith in Him. Well, I don't see it. Well, that's not what faith is anyway. See, we, we, we've got good news to bring to folks. If you are saved, if you are born again, you've got good news to bring to somebody. So we got to understand that Samaria was in a horrific state. The, the people were starving. The, again, they, they resulted or went to cannibalism. They were eating heads of donkeys and all kinds of stuff. They were, they were in pain and agony. This represents the world today. This world's crazy. Our nation is sick. 
But our nation is not sick because of a, a party. Hear me clearly. It's sick because of sin. Loran Livingston, I was watching him this morning and he said this and it's true. Sin is the most absolute horrific thing that you can call the thing. Sin. We like to label and categorize, but it's sin. And sin always produces death. This is why this nation is so sick and so decaying and falling apart because sin is the problem. And if we will quit looking to the White House to change the course of this nation and we will start worshiping in God's house and praying that He will move and that He will heal our land, then something will change. Quit looking to the government to do something that only God can. People are hungry. These lepers, they, they, in fact, what they did represents the preacher of the gospel, if you will. They knew that something good was going on. I've got to go share the news with the king. I've got to share what's going on. We've got good news. The abundance that we have is a result of the gospel. And as just as those lepers had a, an abundance because they were faithful, they went in. We must not hold our peace. We've got to tell somebody. I'm going to ask this question. You, you answer it to yourself. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time you told them that there is hope for you? When's the last time you told them that there is only one way to heaven and His name is Jesus? And if you don't receive Him... Listen, people are dying and going to hell. We're worried about statues. That's, if you're worried about that, that's fine. It makes me angry too. But I don't have time to worry about statues. Souls are perishing. People are dying. Black, white, brown, yellow, and everything in between and going to hell because the church has got caught up in political garbage. God never called me to preach a political message. He taught, called me to preach the gospel. And it is only the gospel that will change our lives. So they were in a horrible and a horrific state, but they, they began to experience an abundance. And we have the only thing that can satisfy the cravings of starving man, this starving world. It's the greatest news that anyone could ever hear. And it's that this, Jesus saves. Anybody that was with us last year when we went and watched the Gamecocks and the Wolfpack play baseball over at BB&T Stadium. Uh, some people were kind of taken off or, or, whoa, what in the world is this guy doing? But when people were marching into the stadium, and, and, and if you've watched TV, you've seen them in the news, anything goes on in Charlotte, he's always there. And I've said this before, he carries a sign and it says two words, and it's the only thing he says. Jesus saves! That's all he says. His name is Sam, I'm pretty certain. But this is the hope for the world that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. So He saves, He heals, He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He delivers. And in fact, guess what, church? He's coming again and He's coming soon. When you get to verses 10 through 15 in, in chapter 7, 
we read and I'll pick up with verse 10, obviously. I just said I would. But so they came and they called unto the porter of the city and they told him, saying, We come to the camp of the Syrians and behold, there was no man there. Neither voice of man, but horses tied and their donkeys were tied and their tents uh, 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 as they were. He called the porters and they told it to the king's house within. But the king arose at night and he said to his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry, therefore they go on out the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when we come out of the city, we'll catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and he said, let some take, I pray you, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are as all the multitude of Israel who are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites who are consumed, and let us send and see. They took therefore two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto, the, unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which, uh, which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. What they told the king was exactly what the lepers had told them. Again, when the Lord supplies you and blesses you with an abundance, everybody ain't going to believe it. Even if they see it, they still ain't going to believe it. They're not go don't, don't get shocked when they don't rejoice with you because unbelief always thinks negative. Always thinks negative. Always. It's... It's, listen, it's God, not a setup. It's God working in your life. It's not a setup. If you will stop trying to analyze and figure out every single thing that God is doing and trust Him, it's not a setup for failure. God never saved you for you to fail. We fail because we're people and we take our eye off of Him. But he's not setting you up to fail. So don't be surprised when the good news is not received. Verses 16 through 20. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrian. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel. Hello, they had nothing. Now they've got an abundance. What was sold, what was sold after, what was so valuable, and now is being sold for nearly nothing. They sold, uh, sold it for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord on uh, whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trod upon him in the gate and he died. And the man of God said, as the man of God said, who spoke when the king came down to him. And it came to pass as the man of God had spoken to the king saying, two measures of barley for a shekel. And a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time at the gate of Samaria. And the Lord answered the man of God. And he said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such thing be. And he said, Behold, you shall see it with your eyes, but shall not eat thereof. And so it fell unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. When the Lord speaks and when the Lord promises, it will happen. And unbelief ain't going to believe it if they see it. Un unbelief will not believe it if, if it sees it. So what Elisha had told had come to pass. And the man of unbelief in verse 2 got what unbelief promised. Death. 
that's what unbelief delivers and that's what it will give. You have to believe the word. You have to believe the word. It's not, you've got to believe it. You have to believe it. When the doctor tells you that if you don't lose weight, you're, you're putting yourself in a, a bad predicament. There ain't much I can do for you. If you don't believe it, guess what? You ain't going to start losing weight. How can you share this if you don't believe it? We, we know that God's word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we know that it's true and it's backed by God himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So you hear this argument, how can I believe something was written by man's hand? They may have penned it, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's backed by Him, but if you don't believe it, you're not going to preach it. You're not going to speak it. You're not going to teach it, and you're most certainly not going to live it. But if you don't believe it, guess what? You won't taste and see that it's good. You won't taste and see that it's good. The circumstances had the Sumerians in the state of unbelief, and but, but all, all but five people, four lepers and Elisha. What has been coming to my mind and stirring in my spirit is Noah built the ark anyway. I might not say nothing to you, but that's what the Lord has spoken to me since this thing began. Noah built the ark anyway. I supplied him with every single thing that he needed down to the last wood peg he needed to drive in to the pitch he needed to put on the door when I said come in and the doors are shut. He kept building the ark. He didn't stop because people said you're an idiot, you're crazy, ain't never seen no rain. In fact, they never had. But I can promise you when the first drop fell, people began to panic and they were trying to get in the ark. But there was only one way which represents the kingdom of God. It was through the door. And when he closed the door, it was too late. You can only tread water for so long. So God has spoken to my spirit over and over and over and over. And if it does you any good, I'm gonna, I just said it, Noah built the ark anyway. So in the midst of craziness and trouble and famine and pestilence and everything else, a shortage of coins for crying out loud, whatever that means, Coins don't go out of circulation, so they're going somewhere. But anyway, keep building the ark. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep living for Him. A governor of any state, and I live in North Carolina, and if you see this Roy Cooper, you ain't going to stop my praise. You can mandate all you want and you can close all the churches you want, but we're still going to preach and proclaim the gospel. So the circumstances had them terrified. Everybody but five people. Listen, all, of, all the whole time of, of, of creation, all through the building of the ark, only Noah's family was saved. Get this church. So many people are walking around and yelling of Jesus and, and crying this or that. But how many people are seeking Him or on their face before an almighty God and saying, Lord, have your way. Purify me, Jesus. Purify me, Lord. Most often, prayer time is spent asking Him to change another or a circumstance. And if you haven't got this within you yet, I don't know where you've been, but our prayer should be, change me. Yeah. 
change me. Because when you change me, I ain't going to see things the same way anymore. My fight is not with Roy Cooper. My fight is not with the government. I pray for them. But I'm not going to be ran over and I'm not going to be a doormat. So, so if you don't believe the word, listen to this, then you have no basis to believe for a miracle. If you don't believe God's word, then why are you asking for a miracle? Because you don't believe he'll do it anyway. I don't know why in the world I was just taken back to about the, about the early 90s. Whew. Over off of 74. Planes flying over the tabernacle. Camp meeting. I can't remember the lady's name, but I know that she went to Yorkwood Church of God. But man, when she sang, it sounded like the whole tabernacle was shaking. But she was singing, And he'll do it again for you. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. What? What he said he would. Because he is not a respecter of persons. You may not know how. You may not know when. But he'll do it again. When he sing that song one day? Um, listen, there's nothing impossible for God. But listen, with man, we know it's impossible. But nothing's impossible for him. No matter how bad it is, God's still in charge. The people didn't believe Elisha. And the same thing happened to Jesus in his own hometown. You've got to believe the word if you're going to receive anything from it. The word is God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. You've got to believe it. He is the healer, the deliverer. He's faithful. He's just. He's the comforter. He's peace. He's joy. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But do we believe that? If we believe that, then we would move. Move where? Forward. Grace always goes forward. Always. Always. And it applies to every situation in your life. Jesus said to the woman at the well, go and sin no more. He didn't see it, put any stipulations. Go and sin no more. Go where? Get out of your misery. If you don't believe it, or if you do believe it, then do something. Do something. The lepers who were hopeless, they did it. There are too many people waiting for God to do something for them. What will he do? Anything. He can. But James 4 and verse 8 tells us to draw near to God. And he'll draw near to us. But there's more. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We can't go to him with us. Lord, purify me. Purify me, Lord. Misery, again, loves company, but it'll do you no good. Every single time in God's Word that somebody was healed, guess what? They had to do something. They told him to take up his bed and walk. Go wash in the... It's not what they did, it's faith to believe what he said. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Lazarus, come forth. 
I ran out of that grave. It's not because Lazarus walked out. He was already made alive, but he had to walk to live. It's not just because you run to the altar don't mean you're saved. It's because of Christ when you say yes to Jesus. He took up his bed and walked. He didn't, that didn't make him healed. He was already healed. That's why he took up his bed and walked. He wasn't laying there anymore. There was an old farmer who had a donkey, and, 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 and you may have heard this before, fell into a deep well, and the farmer wanted to get him out, and he didn't know how to get him out, and he was like, my Lord, my donkey's going to die. The well's deep. It's dangerous too. And he, so he went and got a couple friends to take care of two problems in one. I can't get him out, so I'm just going to bury him alive, and I'm going to fill in the deep well, and we'll get rid of all of it at once. And he began to, and his friends began to shovel uh, uh, dirt, at, 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 uh, shovel after shovel into this well, and they kept throwing shovel after shovel after shovel into this well. And the donkey was yelling, however they do, or whatever they, I don't know what they yell. I'm not a donkey, but, but after a while, that donkey became silent. And so the farmer said, well, I guess he's dead, and, and, and we'll just keep shoveling till the ground's full. And he looked over down in the hole, and he was surprised because what the donkey had done, every time a, dirt, a, a shovel of dirt would hit his back, he would shake it off and it would fall to his feet and he would step up one step higher because he was on his way out of the hole. Let me tell you something. What the devil meant for evil, God will turn it around for good if you'll trust him. If you'll trust him. If you'll trust him, the lepers decided to do something. They rose up and they went. When Elisha said tomorrow God was going to do something, guess what that meant? Tomorrow God's going to do something. What? You'll never know if you don't believe. You don't have to know what the something is. Just know he's going to do it. So when he said he's going to do something, that's exactly what he meant. God stands by his word and he'll do exactly what he says if you believe. But you have to take the first step. Isaiah 59 and verse 19 says, When the enemy shall come in like a flood. He's going to. It's not a question. We know that, that for many, some people will... will I, I don't want to paint the picture of being saved, just horrific. But the enemy's going to come in like a flood. But... With, with, with that warning, there's always a promise. When he comes in like a flood, guess what? The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. What he attacks you with, there's always something greater coming back. So why are we worried? Why are we troubled? It's, if we are in ourselves and we are thinking with our thinking and, and we're doing what we do, then we are going to be worried. We are going to be terrified. We are going to be just, just vexed, I guess, if you will. But they decided to do something and they decided to move. God is the one who has already given us, you and I, victory. How? Through His Son, death, and shed blood on Calvary's cross. So the lepers didn't keep the bounty to themselves even when they went in and they could have. They didn't keep it to themselves. They wanted to share it even if no one would share it with them. You can't contain what God's done for you. You cannot contain what God has done in your life. I want you to know it's more than enough. What you've received from God, uh, you cannot keep and maintain 
for yourself if you have a heart for him. Can't. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. We, we hit this a while ago. Without faith, it's impossible. It's impossible. I don't care what you do, what you say, how you dance, how loud you shout, how well you sing, how much tithe you pay, or how long you pray every day. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. <laughs> I don't know why I just feel like dropping a mic or something. But believe what He's what? He's everything. Believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. Rather than just accept it, we want to analyze it. Scrutinize. Categorize it. We've got to see it to believe, kind of like Thomas. Oh, let me see the holes. We've got to see it to believe it. You in Christ are not ordinary. Did you? You in Christ, not you and your, you in Christ are not ordinary. You're not like everybody else. You were redeemed not to live a mediocre life, but to live an abundant life. You were redeemed to live an abundant life. So I have no earthly idea what it will take to get, not people, but to get the church to respond to their Savior. I don't know what it's going to take. Because the fact of the matter is people aren't running to church as they would before. The crisis of 9-11, churches everywhere were full. Full, why? Because people were terrified and they knew to run somewhere. They didn't even know why they were running, but they, were, they knew they needed to run. This, is a, this, this nation is nuts. But even people who have sat in pews and chairs all across this nation their entire life are not running back to church. Church ain't going to save you, but it's good to be assembled together and to let iron sharpen iron and to encourage one another. But the fact of the matter is, most people won't come back. And I know that's not going to make you just shout your shoes off, but that's the fact of the matter because people in the last three and a half months have gotten comfortable watching or, or, or not watching. And they're doing what they want to do and living how they want to live. But when a problem comes up, they're going to call on you. But they don't want to move. But you can't get caught up in their inconsistencies and whatever it may be. You've got to keep on building the ark. When they kept trying to... get, uh, they, didn't want, they didn't want Nehemiah to build the wall, but he kept building. Come down and let me talk. I ain't got time to come down and talk to you. I've got to keep on building i got to keep going. i got to keep working because I know that time is short. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't get on board, man, I wish I could sing like old new song. People get ready. There's a train coming. It's picking up passengers from coast to coast. Man, I can hear the sound of the diesels humming. He's telling everybody to come get on board. I'm, re I'm, I'm ready for him to come back. I'm so ready, but I'm so 
desperate to tell anybody and everybody that Jesus will save your soul. Listen, church, if His people won't trust Him and move, why in the world do we think others should? We know 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? They don't go together. So do not attach yourself to a man-made movement that calls itself good when it's evil. And I'm not specifying any uh, particular type. I'm anything. You better be careful and mindful of what you're attaching your name to. Verse 15 says, And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he who believes with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the living temple. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know, I know where the abundance is. But will you just sit and watch it, or will you move toward it? Will you move toward it? Last year we discovered a place they call the Midnight Hole on the North Carolina-Tennessee border, and some of you guys have went there with us. And man, I want everybody to go there because it's, it's awesome. It's refreshing. It's beautiful. It's fun. And we're excited about things, new things that we discover and, and things that we like and we want to share with people. But we're talking about God Almighty, Jesus Christ, who saved your soul from going to an eternal hell and he saved it to give you everlasting life so why are we not as excited in sharing him why don't we run to an abundance instead of just talk about it why don't we go to instead of just look at it not far from here's a, a, a well either way either direction as the strawberry farms and and i don't i've never went and picked strawberries i've never went summer takes the kids and some some of you may have gone but I know when summer went, they didn't just sit in the car and look at the strawberry field. They got out. They knew where they were. They knew why they came. And they got what they needed. But we come to where an abundance is, or we just sat and look at it from afar, or we just talk about it. Man, I'd like to, I'd sure like to, I'd like to receive from the Lord what they receive, or I'd like to... Whatever. Let me tell you something. He's no respecter of persons. And he might have something better for you in store than what they're being poured out and poured into. Because your situation's different. Not better. It's all good. So the government of man can try to stop all they want. But they cannot stop what God is and will do. He's coming soon, church. He's coming soon. We shouldn't desire and, 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 and uh, echoing what Terrence had said a few weeks ago or whatever it was, we should not desire for it to go back to normal. Because look what normal has created. Normal has produced a lazy, lethargic, programmed church who is confused and don't know what...
to do because I can't ring all my bells and blow all my whistles. When his word is simple, it's true, and that's what they need to hear. We need to be revived and set on fire and tell people about Jesus. But many of us right now feel like these lepers. Man, what in the world am I going to do? But very few have the faith that these four did. You know what? I ain't sitting here no more. I'm moving on. I'm moving forward. We need to be revived and set on fire when, when uh, in fact, it was, uh, um, we were at a funeral. And I can't remember whose funeral we were at, but you were speaking to somebody's brother-in-law, I think it was. And they do a lot of construction in California. And he was talking about how their construction thrives on fire. And how fire comes in and it, it sweeps through the land and burns up all the dead and the decay and, and even some things that may be good, but they build back. But the Lord wants to set us on fire to get not only to, to let the light shine, but to burn up all the dead junk that's in our lives. We need to set uh, our feet upon a rock whom Christ, the beggar, you and I, the beggar was us, but, but now we are in Christ Jesus. We need to tell people about the bread of life. We need to share the gospel. We need to share where there is an abundance. Because I've went from where I was to where I know he was leading me. And where he led me, there is an abundance. And I should always, and you should always be ready to share that with other people. I want the singers and musicians, if you will, come. I don't know what your rock or what your hard place is. I, I don't know. I don't know where you catch yourself. I don't know. And I, I, I'm not demeaning, and please don't take this wrong. It does not matter. But I'm telling you that God is faithful. And He desires to move in your life. I don't know what it will take for the, ch the church to respond to Him. I have no idea what it will take. I don't understand why we don't continually run to Him. For young people, I want to tell you something. Hear me clearly. Now, right now, is not the time to be messing around. Right now is not the day to deny what you've heard, what you've been taught. It's time to run to Jesus Christ. Because your generation has been programmed to be entertained. And let me tell you something. God's not in the entertaining business. He's in the life-changing business. And He didn't save you for you to be miserable and for you to wonder and worry and try to figure out what am I going to do when I graduate school? How am I going to go here or do that? He called you to walk an abundant life. And to do it now. And I'm not harping on you. I'm telling you, you don't have to experience life. I've done some things that were horrible and I won't even tell you what they are. But you don't have to do it. 
You don't have to look at it. You don't have to smoke it. You don't have to drink it. You don't have to experience it because He called you out of it. But, but wait a minute. Adults. <laughs> we want to cry out. Why aren't the young generation running to the altar? Because they ain't seen you do it. Set an example. Fathers, let your children see you on your face crying before God. Moms, let them hear you crying out. Lord, do it again. We want to see revival and we want to see change. Lord, let it start right here. Because I want to move on. I'm, it takes some kind of evil. For one to not respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. And I know that may sound harsh, but I'm not here to play games. I'm not here to sugarcoat anything. If you find yourself being drawn by the Holy Spirit to come, you better come. Because you're not promised tomorrow, nor am I. We have a nation that's in peril, and they're looking for help, and the church is silent because we're mad that it may, we might not be able to do what we've been doing for our whole lives. It might be a good thing. Because maybe it would force us to get out of our comfort zone and to preach the gospel. To meet people from New York that feel like you've known your entire life. Why? Because the thing we have in common is the thing that keeps us and will hold us and will save us. I don't know. You're rocking hard place. I need salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I need healing. Today is the day of healing. I need deliverance. Today is that day. I need my mind restored. Today is that day. I don't know what you're waiting on. But I can promise He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. Where are those people... Like this young lady that stood up, purify me, Jesus. Purify me, Lord. I'm not going to sit here and die. I'm moving on. Today, it's time to move. Stand in this place. Respond however you may. But I'm telling you, and I ain't never done this before, but hear me very clear. If He's drawing you to come, you better come. Time is way too short. Where is it?
I know and I feel what the Holy Spirit has shown me, but I don't believe in embarrassing anyone or anything. But I'm telling you, there's some people here messing with some things that you have no business messing with, involving yourself in some things that you have no business in doing, and you know you don't. Today's the day you lay that down. You let Him do what you desire because in us, all of us, dwells no good thing. You can't perform what you hear. He's already done it for us. I'm not, I'm not telling you this for you to run, but I'm warned. I, I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to me to warn you. You better stop. Let Him work in your life today. Today. This is your Gideon moment. He's made the fleece wet and kept the ground dry and now he's 
made the ground dry and kept the and, and, and let the dew fall on the fleece. And Lord, if it's really you, let it happen one more time. He's calling you. He's drawing. He's drawing. Will you surrender today? What will it take? What will it take? He's drawing. He's drawing you to come. I want them to sing this one more time. And I want my wife to join me. And I don't know. I just feel led. If it's you, we're going to stand right here and wait on you. Because we love you. And we want to pray with you. And believe with you for whatever it is.
come over here, you stand with all this. I don't, I don't typically do this, but I want to be obedient. Can any of you young folks need anything? They're here waiting. Because they love you. They love you. And as your pastor, do not, I'm begging, don't let this day pass without receiving all he has for you. Come if you need something.
Sometimes you can tell Sawyer, my brother, from another mother. God has good things. Don't settle for nothing less. Ever. Anything, in any situation, in any circumstance. Abby, I know you since you were in a stroller. God's already gave you a good thing in my son. But he has great things in store. Jasmine, be faithful, obedient to him. He's blessed you beyond measure for you to let the light shine. And I might be a little intimidating to you and good. You should be terrified. God didn't bring you around for you to be in the background. He wants to move in your life. Sage, my daughter. You don't have to live up to a standard of anybody in this place. God has chosen you and he's called you not because you're my daughter but because he desires to move in your life why am I doing this because I want these young people to know Sawyer the mullet drum playing kid rowdy is Sheila calls him. I'm telling you this. God has some great things. Look up Dalton. We call him Maestro. This dude can do anything. He probably plays the triangle like it's a harp. I don't know. But God has great, great things in store. 
got Bailey that's uh, become a young man with a deepening voice. Bailey, be who the Lord called you to be. Be faithful. Trust Him. Trust Him. I think your name was what is it? Caitlin. I want to say Christopher. You didn't come from New York just some coincidence. You guys are here for the Lord connected our paths to remain faithful. To remain pure. He has a great thing in store. The greatest testimony is your life of being obedient. All of you guys, I could talk all day long, but I want you to know, we say it, it's our motto, our mantra, if you will, the best is yet to come. We love you guys. Continue to seek Him first and His righteousness, and all the things will be added unto you. We love you guys. See you tonight, 6 o'clock. I don't know why I said 6.30. 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, bring a dessert, a side dish, something to drink, if you will.